Hello, church. My name is Fred, and we will now be reading today's passage from Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 and 40 to 40. Please follow along in your own Bible or the screen. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, well, good morning, True North. My name is Eugene. I'm a member of the pastoral staff here. I'm one of the teaching pastors. Uh, I want to thank, uh, well, first of all, happy first Sunday of the year. I also want to thank Pastor Jay. I was supposed to preach last week, obviously, but he preached uh, literally with an hour's notice, and it went well. So maybe we found a new formula for our sermon prep moving forward, too. Um, I want to share what I was hoping to share last Sunday, um, and kind of as the first Sermon of this year, I was hoping it'd be more fitting to do it last year, uh, but what I'm hoping to do this Sunday um, is just share my own New, new Year's resolutions with you um, in hopes that, um, and you know, it's not like physical or anything like that, but uh, it's a spiritual resolution, at least three of them, and what I hope to do is with them at least give you some sort of guidance, maybe even for your, yourself this year or even for the church as a whole. Um, Thomas Aquinas put it, this way, to, to preach um, is to contemplate about God uh, and to share the fruits of contemplation with others. And what I'm hoping to do is just that. Um, this is going to be a little bit of a different type of sermon. It's not going to be directly from the text per se, um, but it's just my own thoughts of the text that we just read throughout the whole past year and something that I'm trying to commit to this year. And I, I'm going to get into the details of it, but <clears throat> ultimately... These resolutions that I'm committing to um, is to deepen my own love for God and his people. And I, and I wanted to make it a resolution because of this. When I, one thing I realized, and if you've been with uh, us long enough, I've even preached about this. Uh, love is really, really difficult. Um, it's really easy in the beginning of any stage because the emotions are there. And more than love, it's the emotional attraction that fuels you. Um, but to love someone or something or a relationship or the church or a group of people for more than a year, for more than five years, for more than 10 years, for more than 20 years, it doesn't come easy. If you've been married for over a year, you'll know that. Um, if you have children, you'll know that. You know, one thing, uh, as a, a newborn, uh, as a father of a couple of newborns in the past couple of years, you know, culturally, you're kind of told, oh, you're supposed to love them easily, Right? But one secret, I don't know if parents can say this or not, but it's, it's not that easy sometimes. It's really difficult. And oftentimes, the way you parent, because you think that love is easy, it's more out of contempt than love. In that same vein, in that same manner, I think the same is true spiritually with God and God's people. That to love God sounds really cool and exciting. It's like, oh, I would love to do that. But to love God truly requires you to work for it, to grow in it, and to fight for it. It doesn't come easy. And in this passage, Jesus, as often is termed the great commandment that Jesus gives, Jesus highlights three areas of the self to grow in love for God and his people. 
your heart, your mind, and your soul. Now, uh, again, this could be a whole different sermon on what that trichotomy means, how important it is, how unimportant it is. But one thing I want to do is highlight this, that Jesus, all of what he's trying to get to you to, to realize is the love that he's asking of you, the great commandment that he's telling us, this is, this is everything Jesus came to give us, is you have to love God with everything that you got, and you have to fight for it. Now, for me, what I want to do is use this passage and, and kind of share my own contemplation of it and hopefully the fruits of it for this upcoming year, that one thing I'm trying to commit to every day is to love God with those three parts of myself. But how? And what, what I want to do is share that. The three ways I want to do that is I want to commit every day, how can I soften my heart, sharpen my mind, and fill my soul on the daily? How can I soften my heart, sharpen my mind, and fill my soul on the daily? That's the resolution that I'm trying to make. That every single day, that at the end of the day, I look back and be like, was I able to accomplish those three things? Because my hope is, and hopefully as a community too, is that when we commit to that, there will be fruit from that. What do those three things mean for us? Um, the first is this. I, I'm committing to every day softening the heart, softening my heart. Now, why is it that I choose that verb in specific, and why is it the heart? Um, the heart in Scripture, uh, whenever you see that word, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it doesn't just refer to your emotional self, although it's a part of it. One thing we have to realize as Westerners, when we think of the heart, we only think, oh, that's your emotional center. But for those in the Old and New Testament, if you think about it, their physiology wasn't as advanced as us. They didn't have no uh, understanding what the brain was. So the heart in scripture is a center of all hidden emotional, intellectual, and moral activity. And this is an important word. Um, it's used over a thousand times in both the, Old and New, in both the Old and New Testament. So what Jesus is trying to get at is this. When, when he's calling you to love God with all of your heart, it's not just your emotions, but it's what drives you to be you your willpower, your emotions included, your intellect, and all of that. Now, why is it that I choose the verb soften as one of my resolutions? Um, all throughout Scripture, uh, the heart is talked about a lot, and the general caution given to your heart is this, that your heart, the center of who you are, has the potential to harden. That warning is given throughout the Old and New Testament. Actually, in the New Testament, there is a specific verb that's called the hardening of the heart. It's, it's one word. Now, it's used all throughout Scripture. If you remember, um, if you, you know, remember early on in your VBS class, in the story of Exodus, when Pharaoh is about to see all the Israelites gone, what does God do? He hardens the heart of Pharaoh. What's going on? What does that mean for us? And why is that such a danger? Um, even to, to give a more practical example, in the book of Matthew, as we just read, in Matthew 19, in verses 7 to 8, Jesus uses that same verb, the hardening of the heart. He cautions people. What's the context? In the lawyer, the, these lawyers are constantly kind of bickering with Jesus, trying to capture him and trap him. There's a passage in Matthew where it goes like this. They said to him, Jesus, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away. So to give context, they're trying to ask Jesus, you know, you say marriage is forever. Well, what about divorce? Because culturally it's been acceptable in the Jewish tradition. Moses even allowed it. Jesus replies, verse 8, 
Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Even Jesus there in that example is saying your heart has the potential to harden. Now what is that warning and why does God give us that caution? A hardened heart is something that is, nothing can penetrate it. If you think about it, in any form of whatever is hardened, whether it's a calcified part of your body, um, or if you leave food around and it kind of hardens, what happens is there's this layer that's hardened around whatever the object is, and nothing can get through to it. It becomes isolated. And in that same way, what, what the scripture is warning us is this. Your heart is important. It is one of your main ways to love God and his people and to worship him. But a powerful image of a warning of the heart is that it can become calcified. It can become hardened. Your heart is left in isolation. What, kind of, what does that look like if your heart is hardened? Right? It's someone who lives on grudges. It's someone who thinks about themselves first in all relationships. It's someone that's closed off and hides yourself from people. You live off assumptions and judgments of others. A hardened heart does not live in community, but it lives in complete isolation. I would even go even further. A hardened heart, it's impossible to love anything, let alone love God with a hardened heart. Because a hardened heart, the only thing it cares about is itself. And in, look, in a broken world where you're dealing with broken people, broken coworkers, broken family members, broken spouses, broken children, broken friends, broken enemies, what happens is if you don't keep your heart in check, it becomes hardened day by day if you leave it alone. And one of the things I want to commit to this year on the daily is this. Every single day, are there opportunities where I can soften my heart, break down those hardened barriers so that I can become someone that isn't in isolation, but living in intimate community with God and those around us? Now, as I say that, you know, you, you could probably have your own practical way of taking that and, and go with it. Um, please go with it. But some of the things that I'm trying to commit to, if I'm trying to soften my heart on the daily, is this. Um, what does a softened heart look like? Um, I think someone that tries to soften their heart, they live not out of reaction, but out of reception. They live not out of reaction, but, but, uh, but out of reception. I've given this example before, uh, but how do you, what does it mean to live reactively? Um, when you drive, you're a reactive driver. So meaning, if people are nice to you on the road, you let them be nice, or you be nice yourself. If someone cuts you off, like what do you do? You tailgate them, right? Or you go around and you, you know, if you're, if you're really messed up, you flip them off, whatever it may be, right? Now, why do you do that? Because you're reactive. Your heart is hardened. You, you match the energy that is given to you. Now, if you do that, and I'm, I'm not even in a bad way, but what that means is if someone's being nice to you, oh, then I'll be nice to you. Oh, but if someone's being evil towards me, then I will repay that evil with evil. Now, that is a sign of a hardened heart. Like, if you have children, you live this on a daily. It is very easy to be a reactive parent. So meaning, if your, parent, you know, if your kids annoy you, or if they do something that kind of reminds you of yourself that you don't like, then you lash out reactively. But if you're a parent for long enough, you'll know this. Uh, good parenting comes not out of reaction, but out of receptiveness. Meaning that you absorb all their tantrums, you absorb the names that they call you, 
you absorbs like, you know, the little fake punch that they give you, and you give back not what was given. That's how you can soften your heart, that you don't fight fire with fire, but you learn to absorb those around you. Another way to soften your heart, and I've talked about this before, is to live uh, with curiosity. You know, so many of us, um, we live not curiously, but just with assumptions. Um, we already have our mind made up with people, even with God, meaning that when you, like, just even audit your own prayers, um, I, I think a sign of a hardened heart, spiritually, is one that prays with statements. Lord, give me this. Lord, this person is annoying. Let them go away. Lord, my coworker or my manager, like, please fire them, right? Or something. I don't know what it may be. But... Someone with a softened heart, in their, even, in, even in their prayer life, they don't pray with statements, they pray with questions. Lord, why is it this person is in front of me? Lord, why is it I'm in this situation? Lord, why is it I, I can't find this at this current moment? That's a, the sign of a softened heart. Uh, another way too, uh, a softened heart, uh, it sees people made in the image of God and not made in the image of their brokenness. Uh, meaning, you know, the, the reason our hearts become so hardened is because we allow people to harden it. Does that make sense? Um, you know, people are people. They're going to hurt you. Your spouse is going to hurt you. Your coworkers are going to hurt you. The church might hurt you. I'm, I'm not trying to justify any actions towards you that hurt you. But what I'm saying is this. To consistently soften your heart and not allow it to be hardened is to see people not for the mistakes that they've made, but to see people in the image of God as they were created. That every human being is not the, the sum of their failures or of their hurt towards you, but they have a soul. That every human being, however wretched that they may be, and I'm not trying to justify what they've done to you, they have a soul. And to soften your heart is to see that in people. To see them in the image of God rather than the image of their own brokenness. Lastly, one, one thing that I've been trying to, commit to too this year as, as I soften my heart is to live uh, in community and not in isolation. Um, you know, we talk about that a lot and that sounds fun, uh, but community, true community, true intimacy is tough uh, because if you're a hardened heart, what you want to do, if you just think about it physically, a hardened heart, not only does nothing get through, it hides what's inside. A hardened heart ensures that nothing gets in, but also nothing gets out. That people don't see you for who you really are, for your failures, for your, for your, you know, whatever anxieties that you carry, for whatever guilt that you have. You make sure a hardened heart that no one can see it. But a heart that is softened finds people that it can commit to to share that with them in community. That's what it means. So for me, at least on the first point, that's what I'm trying to do, first part of it, on the daily. How can I soften my heart? with my children, with my coworkers, with my friends, with my spouse. How can I do that? Secondly, if I'm, as I'm softening my heart, on a contrast, how can I sharpen my mind? How can I sharpen my mind? Um, Jesus also adds in, you're supposed to love God with all of your heart, so meaning you know, all of your emotional, all, uh, everything that you are, but also with the logical brain that God has given you. That it's a gift that although we're not just two brain, uh, brains walking on two sticks, the brain is a part of who you are, your, your reasoning, your, your, your intellect. And God's given you that for a reason. 
that you can worship fully in spirit and in truth. But the problem is this, just as our hearts become hardened, our minds are like our muscles. They become dull without natural and conscious effort. Meaning, um, I think this, so many of us, uh, as our hearts are becoming hardened, our, our minds are also becoming dull and mushy. Like we fill it with social media, with scrolling, with stories, with Amazon, whatever it may be. And again, those things aren't bad, but if that's the only thing your mind is intaking, of course, what's gonna happen? It becomes mush. You know, the mind often, the way that I can kind of put it is like it's, it's a muscle. Uh, for you to maintain muscular strength, you have to consistently lift weights or work out. Meaning like you can do years of like strength training and be like, wow, I finally made it. But in two weeks, if you stop working out, you can lose all of it. All of it's gone. In that same way, and I would even say in a multiplied sense, your mind is the same way. It's a muscle that you have to actively use and sharpen or you lose its effectiveness. And I, I don't want to go off too much on a tangent, but it's crazy because we live in an era of rapid technological advance. Right? I, I don't know how many of you, um, I don't know if, I don't know this dating myself, but if you think about it, people that are taking a driver's license test today, like people learning how to drive today, they don't need to look back. Like if you're old, think about that. When we're older, when we're backing out, what we'd have to do? We'd have to literally physically turn our heads and look back and make sure we're not gonna kill anyone. But now, the rear view camera, that's like standard in all cars. Now I say that because of this. Although the, skill, the technological advance of cars are there, are we becoming better skilled drivers than 50 years ago? No way. No, that's kind of anecdotal, but just you go on the freeway, and if I see a Tesla, I'm like, they cannot drive well. I know that for sure, right? Why? Because they're gonna rely too much on the technological advance. It, like, in that same way, look, even thinking about this, this phone, there is so much information on it that 20 years ago when I was in school, when I was in elementary school, that if I had this, it would have blown my mind. Like, wow, I must be so much smarter if I have this. I mean, think about it yourself. Are you truly, is your mind sharper now that you have this? Now that you have a, a gluttony of information available on the fingertips of your hand? No. Because your mind, what you realize is intellect is not the, it's not the um, attainment or it's not just the actual information, but true intellect comes from the journey of attaining that information, of getting there. And so much of us, of our minds, it's mush. Although information is easier to attain, it comes at no price of the exertion of the mind. As it comes at no price of the exertion of the mind, I don't know if you guys have watched WALL-E, uh, but it's in a dystopian future where everyone doesn't need to walk anymore. So everyone's really obese on these floating like little chairs and just naturally or physically their bodies are just mush. The same thing is happening to our minds. You know, Neil Postman writes this about this, uh, about America in the 80s. So just imagine that and how much is multiplied. Um, Americans no longer talk to each other. They entertain each other. They do not exchange ideas, they exchange images. They do not argue with propositions they argue with good looks, celebrities, and commercials. Our minds in this Western American society that we live in, uh, we desire to be entertained to death rather than sharpening of the mind. If we're truly called to worship um, an infinite God, 
that is beyond all human understanding and mystery. That means that on this life, as our mind grows deeper into him, if we allow ourselves to do that, our love for him will also grow deeper. Many of us, and let me speak to, I guess, True North in specific. Uh, Many of us walk into church on autopilot. Our minds are turned off. And the reason we come, and and this is speaking more out of honesty than than anything, even for myself, so so much of our faith, if you really look at it, it's more out of nostalgia than out of conviction. And I know it's a big generalization, but for many of us here, we come more out of habit than conscious decisions. That, man, I've been going to church my whole life. Oh, I'm chasing that feeling I had in youth group. I'm chasing that feeling I had in college. And I don't want to lose that, and I want to give it to my kids, so that's why I'm going to keep coming over and over again. Meaning that our minds, when we come on a Sunday, are just shut off. It's on autopilot. We sing the songs. We listen to a message that, you know, if you've been to church long enough, you've heard every sermon in the book. And you just kind of exit. And I get it. But if we do that, if we turn our minds on autopilot and just dull it, we're losing so much of our ability and potential to love God and to worship him in a deeper sense. We're called to sharpen our minds, just like any blade or any knife needs to be sharpened so that it can not lose its effectiveness. That part of worshiping God is through our intellect. We worship in spirit and truth, as Jesus tells us in John. So how can we do this? Um, How can I, or how am I trying to commit every day to sharpen my mind? Um, I I think about it in this way. Uh, To sharpen any blade, um, how do you do that? It has to be through this repetitive, boring action of taking a stone or a cutting stone and just hitting that blade over and over and over again. That's the only way you can sharpen a knife or a blade. In the same way with your minds, it has to be through these small, repetitive actions that you consciously take. So the beginning of it, I guess, begins with this. And this is a spiritual exercise, too. How much of our mind is shaped by our unconscious habits? So meaning like, you know, I've talked about this a lot, but even on your phone, if you look at your audit from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to sleep, what are you doing that fills your mind with stuff? And ask yourself, is this action of me scrolling Amazon, trying to find the best deal for a Dyson vacuum, right? is this action of every morning getting on Instagram, the first thing I'm doing, just scrolling through stories, is that sharpening my mind or is it dulling my mind? It's this conscious effort of asking yourself that, that everything that I do, what, it, what is it doing to my mind? And then actively, then what can we do? One thing that I'm trying to commit to on the daily is this, to read every day. Whether, and I'm not just talking about the scripture, I'm talking about just anything. Um, and I'll tell you this, uh, I, I naturally, I love thinking, I hate reading. I don't want to listen to what you think about, I just want to think about my own thoughts, right? But the thing is, when you think about it, God left this, 66 books for a reason. And because one of the ways he's trying to leave us with his voice is I, I think the spirit can move powerfully on his own in your life. But also there's a reason he left us in a literary device through the scriptures. Because he understands part of how we're designed is to read and to actively sharpen your mind that way. So on the daily, what I'm trying to do is just read something every day. Because again, and when you read too, and you know, part of my job is just to read stuff, 90% of what you read is absolutely worthless. It's absolutely worthless. Any nonfiction book, if you read a lot, you'll know this, 
If you read it, 95% of it you'll forget in two weeks. But you read cover to cover in hopes that you find that 5% that somehow sharpens your mind, that allows you to see God in a new way, that allows you to see people in a new way, that allows you to see what's going on in a new way. Because that's how we're designed. That's how our minds work. And another way to sharpen our minds is just, just, uh, just think about God. Um, meaning, so much of what we do and our thoughts, it's filled with our own anxieties, our own schedules, and our own desires. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But how much of your mind on a daily, how much, what percentage-wise, how much of it do you commit to God just to think about him? Just to ask questions about like, well, why is this happening? Well, this doesn't make sense. Because it's in those questions, it's in that thinking that your mind becomes sharpened. And also, lastly, one thing I'm trying to do is I sharpen my mind is just to be aware of the world around us. Be aware of the world around us. You know, I don't want to speak like some, you know, that the world's out to get you, but it is. Colossians 2.8, Paul writes this about the world. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Uh, so meaning this, I'm not, I'm not trying to say like think in a left-leaning way or right-leaning way, but I'm telling you this. Uh, when you read or when you just live life and you're not conscious of what's going on in the world, of how the world works, the world is telling you something and trying to wire your mind in a certain way. But as disciples and as a church, what we're called to do is to turn our minds towards God, to sharpen it in a way that thinks about him more deeply. So just be aware of what's going on. You know, don't, don't be the person that's like, oh, I, I, I don't know anything that's going on in the world. I don't know anything that's going on outside of my bubble. Because that's how your mind becomes dull. Sharpen your mind. Soften the heart. Sharpen the mind. And lastly, probably most importantly, uh, fill the soul. Fill the soul. Um, you know, Jesus, again, with this tripart of the self, he calls us to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, and it ends with, or not ends, but the last part, with all of our soul. So how are we supposed to do that? Um, the way that I'm trying to commit every day is to fill my soul to be fed. To fill my soul to be fed. What is the soul? Um, the soul, again, this, I, I wish I could give more context, but with the time limited, the soul it represents the immortal inside of every human being. That inside of all of us, every human being, what makes us apart from any other living creature on this earth is that God has given us his breath. So if you go back to the creation narrative, one thing you realize is God creates the world with his mind. So he says, I'm gonna think about waters made. I'm gonna think about whales made. I'm gonna think about land made. And anything God thinks, it becomes reality. Now on the sixth day, he creates humans, he thinks it, and he creates them, but he doesn't finish. He creates them on the seventh day he rests. And then in Genesis 2, what God says is he comes to these human beings and imparts with them his living breath and breathes it into these living creatures. It's a distinction that only human beings have. No other living creature on this creation narrative have that. Now what is this breath given to us? It's our souls. It's what makes us different. It's what makes us made in the image of God, that we have the breath of God. Um, Jews often believe that the soul uh, existed in your throat. Now, why is that? Because what they're trying to get to is this, that our soul, it, it, it desires to be 
fed. That this breath of God that we're given, this spiritual part of ourselves, it needs to be fed. And, and, and this is the thing. We all, if you think about every human being on this planet, the, the thing that separates us from any other living creature is that we desire things outside of our physical necessities. So meaning you give any other creature on this earth just shelter and food, and they're happy. They're fine. But human beings, for some reason, their desires are much deeper. They want to be recognized for their achievements that no one will remember in 50 years. We want to have emotional partners for the rest of our life. And we do everything we can. We'll pay apps to find them. Like, even when we go to concerts, and I've talked about this before, too, what, like, just, like, I don't know if you know Burning Man Festival or Coachella, right? There's these huge festivals in the middle of the desert that you go to. No bathrooms. It's disgusting. It's just all that stuff, right? Why do so many people do that, right? I mean, one, for the vibes, but two, they're seeking some sort of spiritual experience. Like, I don't know if you've been part of a concert before, but there is something spiritual that goes on, right? It, like, I remember I was watching a TikTok. There was some girl that was like, I thought I loved Jesus, but I realized I just love live music experiences, right, as she grew older. And I was like, that's a good point, but what if the reverse is true? That we as human beings love these live music experiences because we're thirsting for something outside of the physical reality that we're living in. And what that means is our soul needs to be fed. Psalm 42, um, 1 to 2, a very famous passage in Psalms, writes this. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. What the psalmist is telling you is that your soul, as it exists, it needs to be spiritually fed. It needs to be spiritually filled. There is a spiritual hunger inside of all of us that if it's not fed, it comes out in broken desires. Like, why is it that in the Bay Area, there is an unnatural vocational thirst and desire. That all of us here, you're here because you want to be probably the best in your field. You want to you know, get a promotion next year. You want to do this or that, et cetera. I'm not saying those are bad things, but why is it so unnaturally high? Like you feel that. The anxiety that you feel in your work, you feel that. Now why is it? Because our souls need to be spiritually nourished. And when they're not nourished, we get spiritually hangry, right? I don't get hangry, um, but I have a close acquaintance who will remain unnamed um, that gets very hangry, right? And I live with them, so that, you know, I see them all the time, okay? And this person, like, I, I had no history of hangriness. I didn't even know it existed. For me, it's like, if I, oh, I'm hungry, that's fine. That's just my physical sense. But this person that I, you know, I'm very close with, uh, they, they become like, like Dr. Jeff and Mr. Hyde, right? And for me, it just never made sense where like this person, um, you know, every 12, 30 p.m., they would, they would turn, you know, for some reason I see them every day, and they would turn into like a different human being, right? They'd be really short with me, their tone would change, I'd be like, whoa, like, what's going on, right? And for the, you know, for, for a while, I was like so confused until this person was like, hey, uh, just letting you know, I get hangry, right? I was like, I don't even know what that means. It's like, when I'm not physically fed, my emotions are not in check. And I was like, oh, perfect. So every 12.30, when things can't test, like, oh, gotta go eat, right? In that same vein, I think all of us have that truth spiritually, that the reason we're so anxious, the reason we're so discontent, the reason we're so on edge, the reason why emotionally we're often, I, I, like, you can't control yourself is because 
Not that you're an emotionally imbalanced person, but spiritually you're imbalanced. You're not being fed. You're not being given what the soul needs and it comes out in broken desires. That's why some of us, your vocational desire is so high. And again, it's not a bad thing to want to be excellent in your craft, but if it's the thing that makes you who you are, maybe you're trying to fill a cup that's not supposed to be filled in that manner. Now maybe we're spiritual beings made to be fed and nourished spiritually. So what are ways we can fill the soul on the daily? What are ways that I'm trying to do that every single day? Um, there's various ways. And, and you know, even me by saying just fill the soul, your mind probably already knows, oh, I need to do that because that really fills my soul. And, and everyone's made different. But one of the things that I think we need to uh, rediscover um, are the spiritual practices, the spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines even, ones of prayer, scripture, worship, you know, Sabbath, meeting on a Sunday. And, and the thing is this, uh, if you grew up in the church, and let me speak to like uh, maybe you know, some of us here, you grow up to think, oh, those things, you know, prayer, scripture, those things I need to do to feel holy. Like they're almost guilt-ridden check marks of like, oh, I need to do that because that's what a Christian does. But you have to see those spiritual practices given to us, they're given to us for a reason because they're designed to feed us. You know, so often we come to them being like, oh, I gotta do them. Just like, I'm gonna read the Bible, pray, Lord, uh, thank you for everything, you know, all that. But when we see them differently as ways to feed the soul, your experience changes. And what you realize is, these things are designed to fill you up, to give you God's presence that you so desperately need in this broken world. And you need them just like eating the right nutrients or vegetables. Right? I'm, I'm not saying like to become a monk or a nun, and, you know, because that, especially that's like, it's like going vegan. You can do that, but you don't need to do that, right? But you need to make sure you have a balanced diet. Like, for example, my, my son, uh, Elijah, he loves, loves, like, protein, but that's it. Like, literally, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. Like, if you go to my house, sometimes, like, we'll order in and out, and he'll, like, take away the bread and slice off the cheese and just eat the, the patty inside. I'm like, that's disgusting, right? And because of that, he doesn't eat vegetables, so he doesn't have enough fiber in his body, right? So he like poops like, like once every 1.5 weeks, right? I'm like, dude, that's like, Eli, that's not healthy, man, right? Probably TMI, but he's not here, so it's okay. And I'm trying to tell him, you gotta eat a balanced diet, right? Like you gotta get vegetables, you gotta get green inside of you because if not, your body does not regulate itself well. In that same way, spiritually, the practices are like that. It's eating the right nutrients. It's giving the soul what it needs, even if you're like, oh, I don't really feel like I need it. Like if you only, if you let your soul eat whatever you want it to eat, just imagine your own physical diet. If you only eat what you want to eat, what happens? Your body becomes extremely unhealthy. Right, so much of our own desires is like that. And, and this is what we have to see these practices as. There are ways to be fed the spiritual nutrients that we need. That when you read scripture, it's not just sharpening your mind as well, but it's taking the words that your soul needs like water and just giving yourself that over and over and over again. And I don't want to harp on this too much too, but like, it's like dating, okay? And I want to make this clear because I know spiritual practice for a lot of us is really difficult. Like, why do you date, why do you go on dates when you're married? Like, why is that? 
Like, when you're dating someone, you go on dates, it's like, oh, I need to impress them to, to lock them down, right? But once you lock them down, why do married people go on dates? Do you become more married at that moment? Like, does that date change your relationship in any way? No. You have a ring. But the reason you go on dates is not to change the relationship, but to experience a new level of depth and intimacy of that relationship. That's what these spiritual practices are designed to do, to read, to pray, to do that. On top of that, one thing I would also add, and I'm, I'm trying to do every single day, is to take a moment, maybe a couple minutes, maybe a couple seconds, of just silence, of silence. Because that's how your soul is fed. Your souls are not fed through noise and busyness, but often they're fed through silence. So, you know, God speaks to you loudest, not when you come to him with requests, but when you begin with silence. Because your soul is stilled, and then you can take in what God's trying to give you. That's how you can fill the soul. Lastly, um, one of the ways I'm trying to do, and to fill the soul on the daily, um, is to remind myself of the gospel. Um, that sounds very cliche. That's something that me and Jay have preached every Sunday here probably too. But I'm trying to do that every single day because my soul needs it. Like what is the gospel? Tim Keller puts it really well. He, the guy, he puts it this way. The gospel is that we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. But at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hoped. Your soul needs that. Every day needs to be reminded you suck more than you think. Like, you, you are more of a brokenness, a broken mess than you think. And whatever your achievements try, like, oh, whatever you do, it will not cover your sin. But at the very same time, what the gospel also tells you is this. In light of that, you are more loved than you can ever imagine in Christ. Even in spite of that. That is what the gospel tells you. And that's what your soul needs on a daily. Fill it every day with that good news. So uh, that's what I'm trying to do this year, every day before I sleep, have I softened the heart? Have I sharpened my mind? Have I filled the soul? Hopefully, if you just take one, but hopefully that helps in some way that you can commit to this year, that, that loving God doesn't come easy, but it comes with, with habit and with practice. And as we do this, we can grow closer to him. Uh, let's pray.